How's it going? My name is Connor Gilson, and I am the president of CG Consulting. Last night we talked about something a little, a little random. I had a pretty much unscripted podcast the other night um, about uh, time and how to manage time. But tonight we're back on to the subject of why am I so freaking happy? Um, and we're going to go over some pretty interesting points on how to really keep your mindset positive um, as far as whether you're um, building a business, whether you're doing a side hustle, whether you have, if whether you're a manager in a company and you uh, are working with your employees or maybe you're a business owner and you're dealing with your employees. Uh, I'm going to go over a bunch of information around that. So let's get started here. Um, let's go over some of the information I got. I'm going to open my notes because unlike last night, this one is um, has a lot of information that I kind of want to break down and go through. Um, so I was looking at a extensive research project that was done, and the reality was... 2.9013 is the ratio of positive to negative interactions that are necessary to make a corporate team successful. So in easy terms, what that means is that it takes about three positive comments or experiences or expressions to fend off the languishing effects of one, just one negative. So if you have one negative comment that happens to an employee, you have one negative experience that happens to your team, or one negative facial expression, body language expression, something like that. It takes three positive of those to actually make the air full of success. It's interesting, huh? We think that, it's funny because like I remember once saying that uh, when I was growing up that I heard one time during a talk and it was that when somebody offends us we tend to harbor it inside of us and it doesn't hurt anybody more than us it's like holding toxic waste inside of us it's only going to damage us it's not until we empty it out are we going to be able to actually set you know ourselves back up for you know progress success things like that and i'm actually going to dim my lights really quick in here because they're a little bright um but uh so yeah three positive comments experiences or expressions to offset the languishing effects of one negative so and that's what we see happen. We, when I built teams and I trained and I taught other people how to build teams and how to manage and things like that, it's always was something that came up with if there's a lot of negatives going on, you're eventually going to drive your team into the ground. You're going to drive your team into, a gra into the ground so hard that you might not ever be able to pull them back up to where they're supposed to be. Okay. Now, it's interesting because I was like pulling together all these little snippets that I have um, from studies that I've researched and things like that. Um, and I had two that really kind of show how important our minds are as far as um, keeping the peace, keeping us happy. Um, affecting our outcome, affecting how we feel, affecting our health. Um, if 
you have a conversation with me, even if you didn't know what I do as far as like a business owner and things like that, there's many times where I have normal conversations with people that is about, you know, things like how our minds are so incredibly powerful that if we start believing something, it can really affect us to the negative or it can really affect us, us to the positive. But I have this, this study and I'm going to read it because one, it's not my study and I don't want to act like it was mine. But back in 1979, I know it was a while ago, um, I think his name was uh, Langer. Um, I don't think I have the name written down here. But um, they, he designed a week-long experiment on a group of 75-year-old men. The men knew little about the nature of the experiment, except that they would be gone for a week at a retreat center. And they could bring along no pictures, newspapers, magazines, or books dated later than 1959. So 1979 is when the, the project's happening, this week, one week long experiment, but they can't bring anything that's dated after 1959. All right. When they arrived, the men were gathered into a room and told that for the next week, they were to pretend as though it was the year 1959, a time when these 75 year old men were merely 55 years young. To reinforce the scenario, they were supposed to dress and act like they did at the time, and they were given ID badges with pictures of themselves in their mid-50s. Over the course of the week, they were instructed to talk about President Eisenhower, Eisenhower and other events in their lives that had happened at that time. Some took to referring to their old jobs in the present tense as if they had never retired. Life and Saturday evening post issues from 1959 were displayed on the coffee tables. In short, everything was designed to make them see the world through the lenses of being 55. Langer is a rogue psychologist. For nearly 40 years, she, oh, it was a she, sorry, my bad. Um, she was challenged, she has challenged the expectations of the scientific community in ways no one saw coming. True to form, in the case, she had a truly radical hypothesis. She wanted to prove that our mental construction, the way we conceive of ourselves, has a direct influence upon the physical aging process. Langer had other words for it, but essentially she was arguing that by moving the fulcrum and lever to of these 75-year-old men, she could change the objective reality of their age. And that is exactly what happened. Before the retreat, the men were tested on every aspect we assume deteriorates with age, physical strength, posture, perception, cognition, and short-term memory. After the retreat, most of the men had improved in every category. They were significantly more flexible, had better posture, and even much improved hand strength. Their average eyesight even improved by almost 10%, as did their performance on tests of memory. And over half the men intelligence, long thought to be fixed from adolescence, moved up as well. Even their physical appearance changed. Random people who didn't know anything about the experiment were shown pictures of the men both before and after the experiment and asked to guess their age. Based on these objective ratings, the men looked on average three years younger than when they arrived. This flew in the face of everything we thought we understood about physiology and aging and revealed radical new implications about the power of mindset to shape reality. Wow, right? Like, 
Wow. Not only did it help them, this one-week process where they pretended that they were, you know, what, um, 20, 20 years younger. Or th- not even, they, I like how... Sorry, are you on there? Excuse me. I like how they didn't even tell them, like, hey, we're going to, you know, try to make you younger. They're just like, hey, or like, pret- like pretend you're 55. No, they said the year. Like, they wanted to go super co- covert. That's why I love some of these studies where it's like super covert. So, like, the human mind doesn't really pick up on it. But they, you know, hey, we're just going to act like we're in 1959. Oh, okay, cool. That sounds fun. Let's do it. You know, a retreat. You think, oh, some. You know, if you go to a retreat, you think, okay, maybe this is some, like, cool thing that's going to help me with, you know, certain issues or whatever. (laughs) Not only were they stronger, more flexible, but they looked, on average, three years younger than when they had arrived. That's crazy stuff. That's crazy stuff. Isn't it? Isn't it? I know it is to me. And it just shows that what we view in our head and... Um, there's so many instances when, when you start opening your eyes to see how, what our viewpoints of ourselves affect us, it's crazy. A few examples is my mom used to constantly say about my mom and my dad that they were victims of Murphy's law. And they would even say as jokingly with, you know, being funny, not like, woe is me or whatever, but they would just jokingly say that. And if you don't know what Murphy's Law is, if you're a younger listener and you don't know what Murphy's Law is, Murphy's Law is the law from, I think it was a TV show, um, but it's where things constantly happen bad to them. But Murphy's Law is stated as whatever can go wrong will go wrong. There it is. Easy peasy. Um, So they viewed that in their lives. My mom had so many medical issues or still has so many medical issues. And now I'm not going to say that everybody that has medical issues, or even her having her medical issues, were all because of that viewpoint. I'm not going to say that. I will say that I feel to my bone that a large amount of them was because she was constantly focusing on things like Lyme disease or sicknesses or things like that. I have this belief that, so if we go into Lyme disease, I don't want to go into it like too crazy, but I have this belief, and everybody else would like get bit by ticks in my family. I had this belief that ticks didn't like biting me. And I would literally watch them crawl around on me and do absolutely nothing. So I don't know. It may affect other things too. But I, and I have, I have some medical problems. I had a few accidents when I was a kid and surfing and things like that. My shoulders dislocate. They dislocate so easy that they eventually just slide themselves back in. Um, when you dislocate your shoulder, you're supposed to go to the hospital to have them like put it back in because it's super hard. Mine have been dislocated so many times they just slide back in. But for the most part, the rest of my health is fine. But I don't focus on the negatives of what you know problems can happen with my health. And it's funny because... There's a lot of instances, like in my life, when I was depressed at one point, I would listen to my, and I've mentioned this before, I listened to my cold calls when I used to keep track of my cold calls for my business. Um, I 
since then use much, much better and much, much more rewarding money-wise um, methods of selling. But when I did do cold calling, I would listen to my cold calls. And when I would get like a lot of clients, it was because I was actually doing very good in my personal life. I was very happy. Um, I got a bunch of clients after I first got married. Um, uh, what else? Uh, but when I was depressed and I listened to him, I, I would listen to myself and be like, no wonder nobody's buying from you. I can literally feel like how miserable you are through the phone call. And the voices were pretty much very close to each other, but there was something about how my voice gave off that feeling of that stuff was going wrong. And that's not attractive to anybody that wants to buy something, especially if it's a marketing service. Okay. But that's what we're going to discover here. Our external reality is far more malleable than many of us think. And it's really dependent on the eyes that we view it with. So if we view our mind as rigid and impossible to change, well, that's what our mind's going to believe. If we believe that we can constantly get better, that's what we're going to believe. If we believe that we're... Our health is failing to a certain degree. That's going to happen. We believe that we can never make money. Sorry, I keep... I keep yawning. I'm sorry. I'm like super tired. Um, If we believe certain things, that's what's going to happen. All time. All time favorite experiment experiment that I have ever heard about. Um, In Japan... They did a, a research thing where they blindfolded a group of students and told them that their right arms were being rubbed with a poison ivy plant. Three, afterward, or sorry, afterward, 13 of the students' arms reacted with the classic symptoms of poison ivy, itching, boils, and redness, okay? Not surprising, right? No big deal, Okay group of students, 13 of them, you know, and I, so yeah, so yeah, um, i trying to remember, is it, yeah, it was all, there was 13 of them, and all 13 of them had, after the researchers rubbed their arms with poison ivy, they said, yeah, or they started developing symptoms, like symptoms, um, that's, so 13 is the number, that's how many they did, um, I had to remember, like, drawing this off the top of my head, um, which is pretty interesting, right, they have the itching, they got the boils, they got the redness, everything, right, not surprising, right, until, until you find out that the plant that was used for the study wasn't poison ivy at all, it was just a harmless shrub, So let's break this down, okay? Because, and I want to break it down this way. I like structuring it this way. So 13 people have what they are told is poison ivy rubbed on their arm, and they all break out in hives, itching, boils, and redness, okay? Classic poison ivy symptoms, except they weren't rubbed with poison ivy. So it's okay, right? It's okay. It's it's okay. Like you know, like let's 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 give it the benefit of the doubt, right? Okay. Yeah, the mind is strong. It could have like started like, you know, sensing that. It's fine. Um it could say like, 
it's it's easy for the mind to if it's focusing on like something and like itching and stuff like that it's going to start itching like yeah it's fine that's easy right no no big deal right it gets better it gets it gets better <laughs> so we have basically the mind creating the biological effects of poison ivy even though nothing poison ivy related touch them but like i said it could be focused your mind can focus and just get itchy and like red and things like that because you're focusing on it so much this is my favorite part on the other arm because remember they didn't tell which arm was at, like they said this is what happened they didn't do the study and then like oh yeah by the way that wasn't poison ivy okay we're gonna do your other arm interesting thing on the student's other arm so they just did the right arm and they starting to break out right on the other, on the student's other arm, they rubbed poison ivy, like actual poison ivy, but they told them that it was a harmless plant. The interesting part was all of the 13 students that they picked were incredibly, highly allergic to poison ivy. Only two of them out of the 13 broke out in a poison ivy rash. That's where all the power is in that whole that whole study. Because yeah, it's easy for our mind to get itchy and like, oh yeah, and like start freaking out. Like that can happen. It makes sense. That's why people hyperventilate when they're like super nervous and freaking out. I I get that. But that's the interesting part because poison ivy. The reason why it creates a rash is because it has an oil on it. An oil that's very very hard to actually break down. You can get like tech new from like CVS or whatever to remove it, but it's hard to get off with soap. It like goes into the pores and that's what creates the rash. And so much so that people will go through the woods while doing yard work and get poison ivy on them and not realize until they break out in the rash but this is the interesting thing being told that it wasn't poison ivy something happened the brain blocked out that oil was there they were highly allergic to it but they only two of them broke out two out of 13 only two out of 13 broke out it's crazy insane what our mind is capable of so to boil this back down to our main topic when we focus on being happy and nothing can touch that that's the reality nothing can touch that because what we're constantly feeding our brain and telling our brain over and over and over again the brain has the whole power over what we take in as reality but the interesting thing is that we can also control that it's fun stuff now What about bringing this into work, right? So one of the things that I wrote down here is that I feel like deadline or the word deadline is about as negative as you can get. I mean, literally, it has dead in it. Like, honestly. And I get it. Whoever, you know, came up with that, that word, wanted to be theatrical, and was like, this is the deadline. This is when you have to get done. There's no other time to do it. It has to be done now. And they went with a big fancy and or big intense doom and gloom word deadline i hate that word i hate it hate it with a passion there's sometimes i'll say it like in jokes or things like that um or if it's something like not super serious like yeah um I'll, i'll make that when i'm messing around with people be like no you have the deadline to write an essay and like send it to me um i'll do things like that but i do not use it in business i don't because it's super, super negative. It's about as, it really is as negative as you can get. 
Because you're focusing on an endpoint that has to happen here, has to happen. And it's just, there's no happiness about it. So what I like to do is use the term lifeline. Once you get to that goal, or once you get to that point where you're doing something, all this positivity and, and, and opportunity is going to open up to you. It's going to open up to you because you got what you needed done, and boom, there it is. There you go. And it's interesting because there's countless studies. There's countless. And I have a bunch of them written here. And I'm not going to read every single one of them. I thought those two were probably the best ones. But countless studies have showed that simply believing we can bring about positive change in our lives increases our motivation and our job performance. It gives us success. And... In essence, it's like a self-fulfilling, like, round or, like, full-circle prophecy. You make a thing, like, you make a claim that you're going to believe that you can have positive changes in your life. Those positive changes happen, which gives you fuel for the next one that you want to believe. And then around and around and around and around and again. And let me tell you, life is so much better with that. It really is. Like I watch people and I listen to people and I talk with people and they say like, you know, I feel like everything like that's wrong can possibly, anything that could possibly wrong. Oh my god, I apologize for this. I like, I, I don't, like, I get it, it's 4.30, but I'm usually not this tired, but whatever. Um, but I apologize. Uh, but people are saying everything that possibly can happen to me. Every time I yawn, it like messes up my mind. My mind's like, what were you talking about? I don't know. Um, I caught it this time, though. Um, if we believe that everything that's going to happen to us is bad, then it will happen. But if we're positive, then it's so much better. Like I said, it's so much better to live this way. It's so much better to view everything in a positive way that if you are believing that, and that's where it starts, is believing that you can be positive. Then when you're positive and you see good results from it, then you got your full cycle. There it is. And it will make it stronger and stronger and stronger. Because if you remember what I said in the mindset module for this podcast, is that is our mind will constantly look for supporting facts and evidence for our beliefs so if we have positive beliefs in it takes it might be hard to get into the groove at first but once we do every single thing that lines up to it it's going to add it and cement it in going to make it more ingrained in who we are and this is why this is another study and this one i'm going to kind of summarize really quick but this is why i hate prejudice this is why i hate prejudice or sexist, or bigotry, or anything like that, because it is literally a idea and mind killer. It really is. There was a study done at um, Harvard. A group of Asian women were given similar math tests on two separate occasions. The first time they were um, primed to think about the fact that they were women, which is stereotypically worse at math than men, um, then the second time they around, they were told to focus on their identity as Asians because generally Asians are math whizzes compared to the other ethnic groups. The result, 
the woman the women performed far better in the second situation than they did in the first. And this is the same group. It wasn't two controlled groups against each other. This is on two different occasions, the same exact people primed at first to focus on the fact that they are women, which was bad, which are worse at math than men. Stereotype, not saying it's true. I'm pretty sure every, I am about 90% that every girl on this, planet is better at math than me i am horrible math grammar and spelling i'm pretty sure anybody can beat me at it i am trash at it so not saying that women are not good at math not saying that but um the second time around when they were told that to focus on their identity as being good at math because they're asians um then much better results there so same to same group two different tests And that's the outcome. So the question I want to ask you, when you wake up in the morning, picture me right there. And if you don't know what I look like, I don't know, picture somebody uh, charming. It'll be a disappointment when you actually see me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But what I want you to ask yourself, as if it's coming from me, is what identity are you wearing today? What identity are you wearing today because it's very easy it's very 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 easy for us to focus on identities that are given to us by other people and i want to tell you that 90 percent of things that people tell us about ourselves are usually from insecure people They always are. If somebody says you're too, you're too uh, lazy or you work too much, because it can be either one, that you're a workaholic or you're materialistic like people told me, or you're lazy or you don't do enough or you're, um, you're not, you know, you should get a nine to five job instead of working for yourself. That's usually insecurity from them be based on the fact that whatever they're talking about is either where they are locked at this point. So if somebody says, oh, you work too much, it's because they're lazy and they can't fathom working that much. Um, If they say that you're lazy, usually, you know, they're either upset that they're working to the point where they're no longer happy, like they don't have me time enough, um, and they are jealous of the fact that you're unless they're an actual somebody that's actually concerned i'm talking about in general though there are people if you're lazy people are going to say like or people are generally be concerned and be like hey you know these are some t- steps that you can take to improve that's you know that's good but a lot of them is not going to be the case it's going to be you know something else um if you're told that you're too fat um you're too thin that's a that's one i recently heard i didn't even know that was a thing I didn't even know you could be told that you're too thin. Like, I literally died laughing because somebody texted me this. And I literally died laughing in a public place so incredibly loud that people had to, like, people, like, stop and, like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, just, just funny. But people that comment stuff like that are insecure about them. They're insecure about their body's body weight or size or arms or legs or things like that. 
That's what it is. So it's something, it's anything. If somebody makes fun of your relationship, if somebody makes fun of the car you drive, if somebody uh, makes fun of where you live, it's, reality is, it's them speaking about themselves. I have one of my favorite sayings, and I don't remember where I got this from, is listen to people when they talk or when they tell you who they are. And there's multiple ways they can do that. They can do that by the types of friends that they have, the places that they allot their time to, their priority of you over other people or over other people over you. So we have all this and what people constantly want to force us to be. They want to shape us and mold us to be what they want, what fits in their reality. One of my rules, and I said this last night, I do not enter other people's realities. Pause there for a second, because I know some of you people are thinking. That doesn't mean that I don't take on other viewpoints and look at other viewpoints. I'm very open-minded with stuff like that. I love seeing what other people's viewpoints are. Um, Because like my whole um, operating system module that I did for the podcast, I talked about that in grave detail. I talked about what we need to be in order to be the best versions of ourselves, and that's be opened and actually challenge our belief systems. So I'm not saying to be closed-minded. But I do not enter people's reality. If somebody thinks something of me, unless it's something of a bad moral trait, like, Connor, you're abusive. Connor, you're... Um, manipulative. Connor, you lie. I don't lie, but I, and I don't... Eh, I manipulate sometimes. <laughs> um, but the... Unless it's one of those things where it's something about my character, then I do not care. That's why I died laughing when that person said I was too thin. I will never enter someone else's reality. I do not have the time for it. I'm sorry you have the time to spew out your reality of what you think I am, but I do not have the time or the focus or the patience to waste my time on stupid crap like that. If you don't like my car, if you don't like my house, if you don't like my personality, if you don't like who I am, if you don't like my body type, if you don't like how I address people, how I handle things, then get the heck out of my life. Simple as that. Because you're now interfering with my happiness level and I will not tolerate it. I will never tolerate ever, ever, ever again people continually interfering with my happiness. Never happens. I've gotten rid of too many people because of that. And it keeps people on their toes. It keeps people in line with you that are successful, that want to be positive influences. If you want to be a positive influence in my life, then fine. You want to start being negative or you want to show second-class behavior? Gone. Your eyes will roll back in your head by how fast you're gone. I have extreme value of me and the people in my life that if you show second-class behavior, not only is it unjust to me, it's incredibly unjust to the people that put effort in every single day of their life to be in my life. 
It's incredibly unjust to them for them to try to be as good as they possibly can while you're over here doing crap that you shouldn't be doing constantly, knowing that it's ticking me off, knowing that it's interfering with my happiness for me to keep you in my life. But bringing that back, those types of people that I'm talking about that I cut off, usually are the ones that want to give you their, the identity that they see. They want to make you believe the identity that they've created. So, once again, what identity are you wearing today? That's all it is. It's funny because going into that, if you have a fixed mindset, you're always going to believe that your capabilities are already set. If you have a growth mindset, however, you're going to believe that you can enhance your basic qualities through effort. You can work on them. You can improve. You can take in knowledge. You can read. You can watch YouTube videos, listen to podcasts, and you can grow. But if you have a fixed mind, and that's why I hate colleges because colleges teach oh my God, do they teach having a fixed mind. Yeah, well, I'm done with school and I got my piece of paper and I got my job and that's it. Enjoy your boring piece of crap life, by the way. And I'm sorry, normally this is where I'd be gentle and be like, well, I understand that there's some college students that actually, you know, leave college and keep learning. Not this time. I'm not going to be gentle this time. 90, I'm not even going to put out a statistic because I like my statistics to be accurate, but a large majority of the people I see leave college do not keep learning. They think they're done. They think they are all set. They get their job and that's about it. I don't even know how you can do that. It literally drives me mentally insane. It's like a mind-numbingly horrible pain when that happens. To me, just just imagine myself getting to a point where I don't want to learn anymore. It's crazy. So, I feel like whether you're an employee, let's let's go into that, right? So, say right now you're still working at a job, a normal 9-to-5 job, and I feel like a lot of you are still going to be... I feel like employees have one of three kind of work like orientations or mindsets about their work, um, job, career, and calling. I feel like people with a job see work more as a chore, and basically their paycheck is the only thing they care about. It's the reward, okay? Um, people who view their work as a career work not only out of necessity to get a paycheck, but also to advance and succeed because they want to go to the next step in their career. You have a job where it's kind of like a closed-minded lock thing, like this is my job, I'm probably never going to leave here, blah, blah, blah. Career, boom, moving up, you know, getting a little bit better. And then people with a calling view work as an end in itself. Their work that they do is fulfilling, not because of external rewards like money, but because they feel it contributes to the greater good. It draws on their personal expertise and strengths, and it gives them purpose and meaning in life. Little asterisk here. Ash, okay, I'm just going to go to sleep right now. Asterisk. Ash, okay. Asterisk. There we go. Jeez. <laughs> um, 
if it was a book, that I would put there. Because if you are not what I just described about having a calling, it's not just about the paycheck, but you feel like it draws on your personal strengths and that you're doing something for the greater good, you're having an impact, and it gives you meaning and purpose. If you do not have that, quit. Quit. If you can right now, quit right now. I'm all for giving people two weeks notice, though. I will say that. Um, I've only done that once in my life where I haven't gotten two weeks, given two weeks notice, and that's because there was some serious bullcrap going on and I was not dealing with it. But um, give your two weeks and quit. And if you can't quit now, build a plan so you can quit. Life is too short to go to work to a job that you hate, that you don't like, that you feel like you are not getting better, not only not getting better and enjoying yourself, but you're killing yourself. You're actually slowly killing who you are inside. There is no reason, and you can yell at me, and you can look me dead in the eyes, and I will tell you you're dead wrong. There is no reason in the world that you should take on a job or career that you do not enjoy doing. I don't care. I don't care if you have a wife that relies on you. I don't care if you have... Um, kids. I don't care whatever BS excuse that you have that makes you feel better about your nine to five job that you hate, that you complain about on the weekends while you're downing beer and getting fat. I don't care. I really don't. And honestly, everybody around you doesn't care either. They'll listen to you and be like, oh, here we go again in their head. That's what they'll do. Sorry, I'm sorry I'm going to be the honest one. I'm sorry I'm going to be the blunt one. No one wants to hear about how your boss is a jerk and how they constantly tell you what to do or like they micromanage you or trust me and I've been there I was guilty of this many times over either find a place where you don't care anymore about those things and can move forward or leave and I would prefer you leave I would prefer you try something new I would prefer you go do something take the money cut or even if, you, if you're good at it, you can get more money by going to the next place. Or start building that side hustle so you can get out of there. That's what you should be doing. And if you're a business owner, one thing that can help contribute to your, own, uh, to your happiness, and I've talked about this before, is forget about your job title. Okay? Yes, I'm the president of CG Consulting. And I open that in my podcast because it's easy and simple. And I may actually start removing that because I don't actually kind of see the point. I guess I'm just used to that because how I open my videos for my business on my Facebook page. But I don't know if it's needed here because this isn't about like getting clients into my business. This is about people being introduced to my brand and how I as a person work and how I view it can help other people. Or how I know it can help other people. But forget your job title. I want you to focus on what would your customers call your job title if they described it by the impact you have on their lives. And now, if your mind just paused there for a second and you don't know what type of impact you have on their lives, one, you're either not good enough. Or two... You, you need to go ask them how, they imp, how you impact their lives. So number two is pretty simple. Number one, you're not good enough. 
that's not a bad thing, especially if you're new, even if you're not new. Identifying a problem is number one. Step number one, identifying a problem, being honest with it. So if you're not good, if when I said you need to explain what your customers would call your job title if they describe the impact on, on their life, if you pause there and was like, uh, I really don't know how to do that, or uh, uh, I don't know if I have an impact on their lives, then you might not be good enough. You might not be trying hard enough. But that's fine. Research, learn. Learn new things. Start teaching other people, okay? Most of the things that I teach in this podcast are from books or other podcasts or videos or things like that. It's like love songs, okay? You can come up with a new love song, but honestly, the principle is probably in 50 billion other love songs. It's just how it is. There's new ways to look at things, and there's certain things that I read, and then I spin and add my two cents and add more detail and pull things apart, and that's what I'm good at. I read a point, and I pull it apart, and I put it against all the proof and facts to see whether it works, and then boom, there it is. And also saves you guys time because you don't have to read the extensive amount of books that I've read. I do view that you should read books, but while you're reading the books that you enjoy, you're also getting information from me in a more condensed, hard-hitting fact way from all the the hot takes, if you will. I love I love that. I remember one instructor te- uh, teaching us, and he said that constantly. Didn't really like him that much, but I love the whole hot takes thing. But hot take. Learn, 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 learn. Learn the stuff that you like. And that's why I don't like about our school systems, all of them, is that the human doesn't, a human mind does not take in information in a generalized learn everything type of way. We are never supposed to learn that way. We should find the things that we are very good at and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn because it's not work then. It's our passion. And that's what it should be. I feel like I'm going through like a bunch of studies, but this is actually a fun one too. Um, This one shows, actually, I'm not even going to explain it. I'm just going to read it, right? Uh, The researchers, okay, so um, let me give you the background on this. A bunch of researchers went into a school or classroom and they did a standardized test. And then this is where it picks up. The researchers then told the teachers in each of the classrooms which students say, Sam, Sally, and Sarah, the data had identified as academic superstars, the ones with the greatest potential for growth, okay? So then they asked the teachers not to mention the results of the study to the students and not to spend any more or less time with those students, just exactly the same as the rest of the the class, all right? And in fact, they told the teachers that they would be observed to make sure that they did not do this, that they did not treat them either better or worse than the other students, okay? So they're being observed. At the end of the year, the students were tested again, and then those those three students posted off the chart intellectual ability, which would be, which makes sense, right? Makes sense. They were experts before, no special treatment, still experts, pretty interesting. Here's the thing, though. 
when they first took the test at the beginning of the experiment, they were found to be absolutely, wonderfully, incredibly ordinary. The researchers had randomly picked those three names and then lied to the teacher about their ability. But after experiment, they had in fact found that it had happened. They had turned from these ordinary kids to academic superstars. Pretty crazy, huh? So the belief that the teachers had in the students' potential had been unwittingly and non-verbally communicated to the kids. Isn't that powerful? So that brings me back, and I've mentioned this many, many times, that our circle of friends is very, very important. I'm watching somebody currently, and I watch that when they are interested in being around me and learning and things like that. They do a lot of things correctly. They, um, they read books, they listen to podcasts, they send me emails and texts about how they are very, very proud of themselves because they're very, very focused and they feel really good and they're being entrepreneurial. And then not only like maybe a couple weeks later, they're starting to hang out with other people and it all goes to crap. They can't manage time, they can't... Um, get something very, very simple done as far as like progress. Um, I handed that person a business plan and they are not doing it. Um, they are spending more time on other things like watching TV and doing other other garbage that's not helping them build their dream. And it's fine because I don't mention it. And it's to the point where I just shake my head because there's so much potential there because I wouldn't teach this person for free if I didn't see the potential. This is a pro bono case and this is what I'm going to do. But I'm not going to pursue them. I don't have the time to pursue. If this was a client, then maybe. But it's up to them. It's up to them. And if they listen to this podcast down the road and they hear me talking about them, then I'm glad you got to hear. I'm glad you proved that wrong. I'm glad that you moved forward, that you saw your bad choices and behavior and moved forward. That's all it is. And, that's, and it's an easy thing for us to get distracted. It's easy. Like I said, motivation is garbage. It is. It only lasts for so long before it's gone. You can even look at my, like, when I was posting podcasts. I lost it for a bit, and I wasn't really doing it. I also don't post podcasts when I am not doing, or I'm not going to be able to put my all into it because I think that's a waste of your time, and I don't want to be disrespectful. But that's what we got, right? But what I just mentioned with the teachers and the students, it's called the, um, oh my God, I always get this, uh, this word wrong, uh, Pygmalion effect. 
I'm I'm pretty sure I botched it, and I'm sorry. That's my bad. I I literally had it a couple minutes ago, and I just lost it. But anyways, that effect is when our belief in another person's potential brings that potential to life. So that's what we have there, right? Um, if you had two theories, say theory X holds that people work because you pay them, and that if you don't watch them, they'll stop working. I'm gonna check the time right here. Forty-seven minutes. We gotta finish this up. Um, but theory X, let's say we have two theories. Theory X, like I said, um, basically people only work because you pay them and then they'll stop working when they're not being watched. Um, let's say theory Y holds the opposite. Let's say that people work for intrinsic motives and they work harder and better when they're not being ordered around, a.k.a. me. Ooh, if I'm, being, if I'm under somebody and they constantly are like standing over my shoulder, it literally destroys my productivity and that they, so, and then if you theory, theory Y has that, that people work harder and better when they're not being ordered around harder and better. Sorry, I combined those words trying to finish this up and that they do it for the satisfaction they receive from good work. Okay. So you have those two theories. When researchers have tried to study what happens when X or Y workers are exposed to leaders with the opposing view, they run into a crazy snag. Very, very, very few managers have employees with opposing theories. So what I'm saying is if you have a manager who believes theory X, where you work to make money and that's all that matters, then they're going to have workers who need constant supervision while managers are, you know, walking around the building or whatever. While on the other hand, managers that have theory why, the one that people want to work for themselves and be feel good about their good hard work and don't need somebody standing over them. Those those managers will have employees at work because they love their job. So, three questions. If you manage a team, for your business or whatever. Oh my God, we're getting close. We're getting close to the 60 minute mark. Um, three questions to ask yourself every Monday. Number one, do I believe that the intelligence and skills of my employees are not fixed, but can be improved with effort? Number two, do I believe that my employees want to make that effort just as they want to find meaning and fulfillment in their jobs? And number three, how am I conveying these beliefs in my daily words and actions? So one, we need to figure out what we are. And if you're a manager in a business or you're running your company and you're only doing it for the money, you are going to hire people that are going to constantly need to be micromanaged because they are going to have the same viewpoint too. You might get one or two theory wires that want to work for themselves or want to work because it makes them feel good and they love their job. But you're going to mainly get theory X, which is people that work for just a paycheck. Something just randomly fell, fell over. That was weird as heck. Um, but anyways, so ask yourself those three questions every Monday. If you manage a team, if you run your own business and have your own employees, that's how you're going to not only improve your own happiness, but improve the others in your team. Got it? Cool. That is about it. 51 minutes. I am ending it here. Quick wrap up. Um, I am about to go off to bed. It's about five o'clock and that is my bedtime trying to not go to bed so late. It's not working anyways. 
I will talk to you guys later. Once again, my name is Connor Gilson, and thank you for uh, listening to my podcast tonight. Good night.